Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Chris Geis. So, you want to ride a motorcycle for the first time? Or again after taking a break from riding? Or do you want to ride better, faster, safer, with more confidence? Well, the purpose of my podcast is to help grow the sport of motorcycling by helping riders of all levels, whether they are new to motorcycling or not, increase their knowledge and skills so that they are better, safer riders and are getting everything they want out of motorcycling, whether it's on the street, on the track, or maybe even as a fan or a participant in some form of motorcycle racing. My game is to help all motorcyclists up their game. This is episode 35, titled Racer and Track Day Coach Robbie Ciccolo Jr. In this episode, I have a really cool chat with Robbie in which we discuss how he got into motorcycling, why he prefers riding on the track, and the amazing experiences he has had as an endurance racer, as a racer in the Moto America Twins Cup Series, and as an instructor and coach for N2 Track Days. We also talk about how motorcycles are the great equalizer and how motorcycling brings people together from all kinds of backgrounds and all walks of life. The shared love of motorcycles and motorcycling seems to know no boundaries and melts away differences in gender, race, religion, nationality, economics, and the other things that sometimes put up barriers between people. In a nutshell, when true motorcyclists put on their gear and throw a leg over their bike, they are all very much of the same heart and spirit and they all share a very special bond, one with another. This episode was recorded on Wednesday, December 11th, 2019, and it's being published on Saturday, December 14th, 2019. I hope you enjoy it. So, you want to ride a motorcycle? Well, you've come to the right place, because this is the So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle Podcast. All right. Hello, everyone. So my special guest tonight is Robbie Ciccolo Jr., who uh, got several kind of cool things on his resume. So first, I know him as a Twins Cup racer in Moto America. Uh, I also just found out just in chatting with him beforehand, although I had seen some posts on Facebook, that he also races on an endurance team with four dudes on a twin. And he also is a coach and instructor for N2 Track Days. So welcome, Robbie. Thank you for having me, Chris. (laughs) Yeah, my pleasure, man. So, yeah, it's kind of just share with the listeners kind of how this came about. So if I remember correctly, and bear with me because, you know, old people, their memories get kind of, you know... (laughs) Wanky, but we we met for the first time in person at Barber, I Correct. think, right? I, okay, I met you. I met you at your your setup with the bike and everything. Um, but we've been Facebook friends for a fair amount before that, and I don't remember. Maybe you do, if it was like prior to the race at New Jersey Motorsports Park. Uh, but I know we've been Facebook friends for a while, and um, you know I've enjoyed taking photographs and stuff at the races, and in particular, like your bike. Is, is one of the bikes that really stands out because of your livery. It's oh, just, I, I, I'm, I'm sure you've gotten a lot of compliments. It's an awesome looking paint scheme. Uh, you know, you've got the, 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 uh, you know, logo for N2 track days on there. And it's basically like, right. It's kind of like the theme is like green and kind of flat, 
Was it flat black or gloss yeah, black? Yeah, flat black, flat uh, black, green, and then just a big giant N2. So, you know, it, yeah. it's a two bike, you know? Yeah, so the bike just really stands out. And so, like, but before I even, you know, knew you or had met you, I was like, every time you went by on the bike, I'm like, all right, let me grab some shots of that. <laughs> And and I guess you're friends with Chris Bays, you know. Yeah, that's how, that's how I originally found out about uh, your podcast and uh, social media profiles. Was I was a little bit of friends with uh, Chris Bays. He helped me out um, when I was endurance racing. Let me borrow some parts. Um, always gave me advice. Was very uh, supportive in me doing a Moto America because I was kind of a, a little scared at first because I was a newer racer. But I saw the sticker on his bike. It said, "So you want to ride?" And I asked him about it. And then oh, okay. it so happened to be you. And then at New Jersey Motorsports Park, me and him had like a really nice like battle, which was one of my one of my better races. And you got some pictures of me and him like coming side uh, by side in the corners. You know that was yep. so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's actually a, one of my favorite shots. Was I guess it was after one of the races. You I'm guys were kind of side too. side by side, just like mm-hmm. fist bumping. I actually, I haven't done it yet, but I want to. I want to get a print made of that. I actually, um, I'm finally getting around to. As I find kind of deals, especially around the holidays, like the, these companies that do these really high quality prints, uh-huh. like, you know, that the prices are coming down a little bit, like Black Friday mm-hmm. specials and stuff. So I actually got a print made of Kyle Wyman that I had shot at, yeah, saw at, that at, one. at, at Jersey, right? So that's that's in the living room over the TV. I definitely want to do the one of you and Chris. So get a Sweet. nice print of that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that look really cool. So anyway, so I did, okay, so I didn't realize that you actually found out about me through the sticker. So that's actually good to know because it means the uh, the promotion and the sponsorship is working. So <laughs> <laughs> I might I might have to sign up with Chris again this year. This year <laughs> 20, awesome. 2020. Yeah, yeah, I like but, Chris. Uh, He's a good dude. Oh yeah, definitely. And uh, I mean, it's it sucked about his accident, you know. At um, mm-hmm. where was that? Not Laguna Seca. Uh, Sonoma. Uh, Sonoma, right, right, right. Yeah, he um, got some gnarly photos of that wreck. Yeah, I, I mean, I saw the video. I saw like the Motor yeah. America video, and it was cool because you know he was on afterwards, and we got a chance to talk about it. And I did see him at Barber, you know. Mm-hmm. And I totally, it's kind of bummed that he, you know, he didn't race the last couple of races, but I totally get it. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think he made the right move to like get the surgeries done and get himself fixed up. And so it sounds, it sounds like, I know he's going to do not the full schedule. It sounds like this season, mm-hmm. I think he's just going to do the East coast rounds in motor America, but okay. it sounds, it sounds like he's going to be, uh, you know, in, in, in pretty good shape for it. So that's, that's, awesome. that, that's good to know. Yeah. So that's really cool. So, um, Actually, you know what? I'm. I, I know. You know. I sent you this list of questions by email. We'll kind of hit yeah. some of these, or most, as many as we can. But I'm not going to go in any particular order. And the one thing I wanted to ask you about, and I think it was like the last question on here, right. was I, on social media. I think mostly on on uh, Instagram, right? I've seen you've been posting some stuff with like photos and stuff regarding. Is it Erica? Yes. Is that, okay. <laughs> so so what what what? It sounds like just some really f- like cool friendly rivalry going back and forth. But so what's the backstory on that? Oh, I met her about, I don't know, like three months ago, um, started talking to her on the internet a little bit, rode with her once at the track, and then we ended up dating, and uh, it's always been like a joke to see who's faster, and okay. uh, just turned into this meme thing online, and you know, I guess people started commenting and sharing on it, so just, you know, the insults got worse and worse and worse. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's all fun, it's all fun and games, you know, and she yeah. sent me something that's really you know quote unquote bad I, it, it's hysterical because i want to see what people's reactions are and it kind of sure. gets attention as racers so <laughs> yeah no definitely you know? like, like like i didn't totally follow the thing but i was like i don't know i was just i was getting the kick out of it so okay <laughs> that's awesome that's pretty cool so does does she race or she just does like track days or uh she does race she i think was the second female to race in the moto america twins cup 
Oh, cool. So I think that's where I, I, I knew of her a long time ago because she had an FZ07. And when, when I first started racing, we raced back at Summit when I had my old SV. Okay. Um, she's definitely more of like, a, I know she loves her Ninja 400 and a R6 person. Right. Gotcha. Okay. okay. Is, is she still racing Moto America? Well, like, uh, she, I think she has a hopes to do the R6 within the next couple of years. Um, okay. She wants to ride out at uh, Road Atlanta. So she's pretty fast, you know, and I'm not just for a girl, like she's pretty fast. <laughs> well, that, yeah, it's, that's the thing, right? Is it's like, yeah, you don't like, um, I don't know. It's just interesting because I work for a company that, uh, you mm. know, a, a big thing nowadays is, uh, diversification right and it's like you know wanting to not have any discrimination you know on any kind of thing for anyone's gender nationality like whatever right and and just basically you know hire people and promote people based on merit and and so i think definitely like racing also something where where that applies it's like if a person is good they're good like i it doesn't matter i don't care how old they are i don't care male, female, whatever, you know, it's like, you know, like, cause like, cause even I've thought about this, right? Like, you know, we've talked, I want to start doing track days next year and whatever. If I'm out on the track and some girl's kicking my butt, I'm going to go introduce myself and be, Hey, you know, how's it going? How do you do that? (laughs) You know, it's like, I mean, that's one of the beautiful things about motorcycles. Like everyone has like these stereotypes pre-programmed in their mind from wherever they grew up or, you know, how their parents raised them. But, you know, whatever that may be, you go to the track and you have a motorcycle all of that disappears, race, sexual orientation, you know, male, female, age, it's just gone. You got right. a motorcycle. That's it. That's all you see. And that's all right. you know them by. And right. it, it, there's very few things that cause people to be like that, you know? Sure, sure. Because uh, I know even people have mentioned, like, just regarding motorcycling, you know, it's like it tends to bring people from all backgrounds, too. You know, so, <clears throat> you know, you'll have whatever, you know, you have people who blue collar, you have people with white collar. It's just like, yep. there's just people hanging out. It's like enjoying one another's company and, you know, share it, sharing and, you know, having a shared experience or whatever. Yeah. So you'll get a guy uh, having a minivan, you know, $500 minivan with a $500 bike coming to the same track that guy tows a $40,000 bike with a quarter million dollar hauler and right. They're right next to each other. That doesn't exist either. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing too, that I found. It's one of the things I love about Moto America. You know, I've been following, I guess, for three seasons now last year. Well, actually, no. Um, 2018, Gene and I did see the race in Jersey, and then you know we saw two races this this last season. Uh, but it it's just the environment is just so awesome, and like it is, you know, obviously it's a business, and there are people there to make money and whatever. But you know, it's just like a big family kind of thing. People are very oh, friendly. Yeah. You know, you could just talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know I've talked about on on prior episode where you know I have a, a buddy who actually does a motorcycle podcast as well, and. Uh, you know, his kids wanted to meet Cameron Bobier, and it was just like they just happened to pass him in the paddock. And oh, it's like, awesome. hey, Cameron, how's it going? Can we get an autograph? He's like, yeah, of course. It's like, you know, it's not like there's no like, um, I don't know, like walls or anything like that. You mm. know, people are just friendly and whatever. So, yeah, not at all. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I think uh, if you like that aspect of Moto America, I think once you start doing track days and racing a little bit, um, that you're going to fall in love with it. Because, you know, it's the same thing where people bring their kids and everyone's helping out and, you know, I always tell people it's like half the fun of doing a track day is riding. The other half is when you're done with the day and everyone's all pulled together and we're drinking, you know, we're, you know, doing whatever. It's just it's, it's an awesome place to be, you know. Yeah, 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 definitely. Cool, cool, cool. So uh, so how did you first get into motorcycles? Like just at all? So at all? I mean, I, when I was younger, I had a couple of four wheelers um, we used to mess around with in the backyard. But I think when I was like 10, 12, my dad 
bought a 2004 R1 and started right racing on the track um, mm-hmm. with Nesba. I guess this is the company before N2. And um, I used to just follow them around. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world to watch that. And I couldn't ride, you know, by, I guess, the law, uh, not the laws or the rules at the time till I was 16. So I had to wait. And, I, you know, I counted down every day. And yeah. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And then uh, when I was 15, 14, my dad bought me an SV650. So uh, I started riding that. I'll just ride around the paddock. And I mean, I would keep my um, odometer, reset it in the paddock. And I would do like 200 miles just riding it around the pit. Oh, wow. My dad would race. You know, <laughs> just obsessed with the thing. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, like, that's like four days of riding for me. <laughs> <I know. laughs> no, I'll, actually, sometimes it is. Like sometimes that's all I get in as I get out 20, 25 miles. But oh, that's pretty cool. So actually, so, so you've been riding SV650 for quite some time. Like even okay funny. in the paddock, but uh, I've been riding for a while. But I had the SV. I rode that, and when I first started riding, the SV was kind of like a starter bike. It wasn't something that, like, at least in my my perspective, wasn't really something that people raced at like a higher level. So you know, I eventually got rid of it, and I rode a Jixer for a while, a long time actually, and then that blew up. And I put out a post on Facebook saying, "All right, hey, I'm ready to." buy another sv650 because i want to go racing because there's this new thing about uh svs and this guy messages me and he's like uh hey i uh have your bike you know i'll sell it to you for 1200 bucks and it was the bike that i raced i rode when i was 15 years old and it oh, sat wow. for like eight years and he didn't oh, ride wow. it. so i bought it back and you know that's what i guess eventually led me to racing in the twins cup and the uh, endurance team for dudes okay. on twins Oh, cool, cool, cool. So that was nice of him to store it for you for all that time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's pretty funny. So um so Twins Cup started what, 2017, 16? Yeah, I believe, it was, I believe it was last year it got started. Last year. Okay. No, maybe yeah, you know oh maybe so maybe last year was the first full year. Because I remember I remember following it a little bit the year prior. There was like eight eight well, whatever, races that I watched. I think there was you know mm-hmm. sometimes eight eight ten racers now like i actually i think right at barber didn't they have like some entrance that didn't make it into the race like there just was there was too many bikes i think there's too many entrants for the grid right there were so, a couple a couple uh races that were actually like i think pit race i mean don't quote me on these numbers but i'm pretty no, sure it's like almost 50 bikes out there wow and then i think they only took i think they took 45 something like that and also a barber is pretty similar i don't think the number is as high but you couldn't have as many bikes on the track I believe. yeah yeah so, um, yeah, that was, uh, that was really cool to see because even, you know, even just watching those first couple of races, the prior mm-hmm. year, you know, there was eight riders, it, it sort of almost didn't matter because they were just competitive. And mm-hmm. like, to me, that's what makes watching racing fun is it's like, you know, when there's a mix of riders and like, you just don't know what's going to happen because they're not all stretched out and, mm-hmm. you know, which you like, you tend to get a lot like MotoGP, like as much as I like MotoGP, Right. You know, like nowadays, past couple of years, you know, more or less, not always, but basically Marquez is going to get out front. And, then, yeah, yeah. you know, he kind of checks out a little bit. And then, you know, depending on the track, there may be a little back and forth, but it's a little predictable. It's kind of like, OK, well, I, you know, I'm pretty sure Marquez is going to win this one. But, you know, to see something like those Twins Cup races, it's kind of what got me interested, one, in, in Twins Cup and then just two, I think, in Moto America, it, because I also got like, you know, because I 
had learned just, you know, in reading a little bit that, you know, not all these guys race every race. It's like they race the ones that they can. So it's like, wow, it's like there's this series that goes around the country and people kind of come in and race when they can or where they can or whatever, which I thought was really cool because it's like, it, it's sort of funny, like it, it aligns and I'm not saying that, that I have anything to do with like promoting Moto America, but it aligns like my basic approach with this podcast is I want to just help get more people riding by getting people mm. to try out different things and kind of continuously like improve their skills and kind of move like up the ladder of different things, you know? So it's like start riding. Okay, cool. Get better at riding, build your skills, do courses, read books, you know, mm. get more knowledgeable. Okay. Maybe get out on a track maybe do track days, like, like that kind of thing. And so the fact, I guess my point is like stepping stone. So the fact mm. that twins cup could be like that, you know, like for it, people who, whatever, they, they can't race the full calendar so they can race a little and then they can figure mm. it out and they get exposure and they meet people and they get sponsors. And then like, you never know. I mean, like one of the reasons why I love the twins cup so much, like, as you mentioned, is definitely the diversity. I mean, you look at the caliber of riders, the age of riders, everything is, you know, mixed over all over the field. I mean, uh, Michael Barnes, I'm not sure what his age is, but I mean, he's definitely at the more experienced level yeah. uh, out there competing with Alex Dumas, who I think is 16, 16. Yeah. Moved up from the uh, KTM Cups. You got high quality riders, you got road racing world pumping money into it. And then you get a guy who built, uh, I think last year, this guy who bought a bike the weekend before for like four grand. And it's like, hey, I'm going to go race and then goes and qualifies, you know, like, <laughs> right. and then someone who. I think uh, I like the Twins Cup the most is because someone who maybe rides a motorcycle a little bit or does a few track days goes to a Moto America event and watches this race and they can see that and go, I want to do that. I want to do the Twins Cup. And it's if, you know, with hard work and, you know, like that obsession over it, it's it's not a totally crazy goal to achieve. And I think people can get out there, like you said, like an experience pro racing and this whole family atmosphere and all that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, so, same, like, with me, too. I mean, that's kind of like a couple of years ago when I went to my first Moto America event. And I was like, I want to be one of those guys. Mm-hmm. You know, Twins Cup came around. I was like, there's my ticket, you know. Right. That, that's how I get in. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. The um, So the, the, the bike that you race, the Suzuki SV650, mm-hmm. is, is that a V-Twin? Yes. Okay. And it's interesting. I just learned that because we, mm-hmm. my, my girlfriend and I this past weekend were at the International Motorcycle Show in, in New York City. Like we've been going every year since we started riding. And um, <clears throat> I was like looking at the bike. And at first I had said to her, I was like, wow, look, look at how they have, you know, the, the cylinders like leaned forward, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Like lower center of gravity, you get the weight down lower. And then she's like, no, 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 come around here. It's like, there's the other cylinder pointing back. Like, oh, okay, I, I, I never realized. I guess, I don't know if that's what the V and SV is from, but. I never I, thought I, that, but maybe I, it is. Suzuki yeah, twin. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, I always thought it was parallel twin for some reason. So, which which I guess, so, so that gets me to, right. So the, the bikes that qualify for that class, right. So you got the Suzuki SV 650 mm-hmm. and then the other like, common bike is the, F, the Yamaha FZ07. Correct. Uh, which is parallel twin. And then obviously there's other bikes that are permissible. And in fact, no, I guess that's super sports. Right? 797 Monster. Okay, right. Kawasaki 650. I've seen a couple of those. And those okay. are those are SV650 equivalents, I believe, as well. And But yeah. those, the FZ07 and the Kawasaki are both parallel twins. And the nine, 797 is a V-twin. Gotcha. And then, so, so Michael Barnes, he's on the monster 
Yes. Ducati Monster. Okay, gotcha. And then I know I saw something recently because it is, and I want to think now, is it Aprilia that just came yeah. out with the 600cc? Mm-hmm. But now, but I'm trying to remember, the, the question was, will that be allowed in, I don't remember if it was Super Sport or Twins Cup. Uh, um, I think what, it's going to be in Twins Cup. Like, I, I looked okay. at the specs a little bit, and I think it said it was going to make right around 100 horsepower, okay. which is... Uh, you know, pretty much where a lot of these Super SV650s are. And I, I would imagine it would be a lot, lot like the Ninja 400, where it's going to be a class killer, and they might put, like, a air restrictor on it or something to make it a little more, you know, level. Right. But um, in terms of the Priya, no one's really made, like, an all-out race bike for twins. I mean, you look at the F-07, you look at the SV650 and the Monster, like, those are street commuters that, you know, some crazy dudes in garages turned them into these, you know, race machines with all right. the... It's a builder's class, you know. Yeah, yeah. Which actually is really cool too, right? Because that like that gets the builders involved, all the engineering companies and stuff. And like I guess so who are like who are some of the, the guys that are kind of involved in that, like all the add-ons and performance parts? Um like some of the names I see, like Robum Engineering, I think yes. maybe right. is one, right? And then there's um what's the who's the Our guy Bob. that uh, he's, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Our bomb, Russell. Mike Kuplos, uh, he's the uh, engine uh, engine guy for okay. uh, uh, bomb Racing. And then actually, that's actually where my engines come from, my endurance motors and my uh, superbike engine for uh, my SV650 I have now. Um, okay. Builds great stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess so. he does like custom parts and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, also. Okay, which like he sells whatever to racers or kind of aftermarket, I guess. Yeah. That's cool too. Like, right. So there's that the kind of business aspect of it, you know, inventors coming in and, you know, mm-hmm. building parts and whatever. So the SV650 stock is like how much horsepower? Like 60, probably, maybe a little more. 65, 70, maybe like that. I mean, a lot of the SVs you'll see on the club racing grid, especially in super stock, and especially my old one, they're pretty like spanked. Like they've been used a lot. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're over 10 years old, but yeah, so probably 65, 70 horsepower, maybe even less. Okay. And then one that's worked, like that's, that's you know, souped up for Twins Cup, they're, they're getting up to like 100 horsepower? Um, It's hard. I don't know what the best bikes are. I can tell yeah. you what mine is. Mine's right around 85. Um, okay. And that, for me, that's fast. Um, And I guess it's hard to say with uh, horsepower numbers, you know, but compared to a 600 when I'm riding at a track day, Coming out of a corner, I can hold on to them pretty good. It's when the bikes stand completely straight up and down that they pull from me, and then at top speed. So I think yeah. the uh, the twins, when they're fully souped up, they uh, make a large amount of torque. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And then uh, what's what's the weight run like like on your bike? The weight, yeah. I I want to say it's close to four hundred pounds. Um, I I'm pretty sure like an SV six fifty weighs uh. A lot more than like an R6 or a yeah. 600, just because okay. and they're not race bikes; they're uh, daily yep. commuters that we're turning into race machines. <laughs> right, right, right. Which is pretty cool too, because it, it it's not that that's the same thing, but it reminds me a little bit of like the guys that take Harley's, you know, and they modify them, tweak them, and then they take them out on the track, kind of thing. You know, it, it's kind of like it's it's like cool taking something that wasn't built specifically for that purpose, and then just figuring out how to engineer it and you know, so that, so that it works. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. I've heard there's a, so there's being fast on a motorcycle and that's a specific skill. And then being fast on an SV650 is just an entirely different skill. So if I'm fast on my, like, for example, me, I jump on R6 or R1 or something. And I mean, I can ride it, but 
I'm faster on my SV650 just because the bikes are so different. I get so accustomed to how the SV works that, um, you know, I, I developed a feel for it. And versus when I ride an R6 like or an R1 or a race bike, it almost feels like numb. Where it's okay, like, like you don't get as much feedback. And, yeah. Okay. Wow, that's interesting. So, so is like, there... Somebody jumps on an SV, SV650 sometimes, you know, they're like, oh my God, what is this? This is the scariest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> what is this beast? Okay. That's pretty funny. So like, is there a special school where you learn how to ride a SV650 well? <laughs> The uh, the champ the Yamaha Champions Racing School is uh, mostly where I where I developed that feel for like where the limit of grip is in terms yeah. of you know trail braking lean angle you know they have this whole theory on a hundred points of grip yep. versus you know um, you know you add points when you start to lean the bike you add points when you brake and you don't want to break a hundred points but you want to use up all of those hundred points you know to maximize your grip and you know right. if you're not using all the hundred points and you know you can go faster than that right. Yeah, that's actually a great video, actually. I've, I've shared that before, but I'll include it in the show notes for people that want to check it out because it's really, like Nick Iannaccio, I think he does the video, and he he does a really good job of, like, helping you understand, like, just because all, all he does, he's out on a racetrack, and he just takes mm-hmm. a, tire, a tire off the rim, and yep. it just demonstrates the difference in traction that you have mm-hmm. between a loaded and an unloaded tire. Correct. And, and you totally get, like, oh, wow, like, and not that I've really experienced it yet, but I t- totally... Like, it makes sense to me. Like, okay, yeah, so that's why you're going into a corner and you're breaking and you're getting, you're loading up that front wheel so you get, you know, better grip when you're, when you're making your turn. Yeah. But to your point, you can't, you know, you overcook it. You're more than 100. Guess what? You're, you're going down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, I, I love the champion school. I mean, talking to Nick, um, he's such a well-spoken person. He's so animated when he does the class. I mean, even now, I guess probably in a year and a half later, at Moto America, I'm coming into a corner and I'm coming in a little hot and I can hear Nick in the back of my head going, Robbie, don't give up on those brakes, you know, don't exceed the hundred points or, right. you know, yeah. or if you yeah, yeah. mess up, you know, one of his other quotes is, you know, your lap starts at the next apex. Don't beat yourself up. And then I, I say those things a lot in the back of my head, or mm-hmm. I say it in Nick's voice in the back of my head when I'm riding. Oh, that's, that's cool. <laughs> so it's like, he, like he's riding with you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's great to have those things that kind of like, you know, like, um, stable things stable data that you can just kind of like if you're getting a little flustered or whatever it's like oh yeah you can just kind of remember that thing i guess and just keep you on track so um so so how did you learn to race like where how did you develop your race craft was it like mostly going to school like practice i mean combination like school and just a lot of riding or i don't want to race i did track days for a long time because my dad's one of the guys who uh, runs in too so i mean when i was going to college and high school um you know i rode every now and then but um when i started to get serious is when i got out of college and my buddy lars dunaway and uh steve wilson gave me a call and I'm like hey dude you want to do this uh four-hour endurance race i'm like i don't know the thing about endurance racing nor do we have an endurance bike or nor are any of us really like really racers but yeah we'll figure it out but you know lars said and uh yeah the night before we took all three of our bikes lined them up and built one bike that could possibly make the four hour and i mean it was not definitely wasn't like a super bike or anything really fancy but um we went out and we raced and i think uh we were out there and maybe we got 16th place and you know we moved up to like 15th or whatever it was and everyone's screaming and having the time for a lot just because you know we were constantly doing better and then that was the time when we were really really like hooked so really got into endurance racing and, you know, 
naturally with an endurance race, you're riding on the track at an hour at a time for me personally, my stint. So I'm getting a lot of track time and a lot of experience on, you know, uh, track, uh, track time, say a barber. Now I know exactly how barber is. I know how to make passes. I'm used to leader bikes passing me, you know, tight on the straights or little bikes coming in close on the corner. So that helped me out a lot. Okay. So a lot, a lot is just, it's just doing it. It's doing Mm -hmm. it and getting the feel and learning like what works and doesn't work. Oh, for sure. Seat time. There's, I don't think there's any better, uh, way to teach you than just being on the bike you know it doesn't even really have to be fast or slow it's just you get used to it you can learn the feel when you when you're on there for uh that long sure no totally makes sense so then so in an endurance race like that so basically it's four of you each taking an hour on the bike correct so usually i'll start off for the first hour i'll do the launch um and then everyone else you know will do an hour, do as much as they can, and then I'll do the cleanup. Say if somebody can't do another, they do forty-five minutes because it is a lot to be sure. on a bike for an hour straight, especially when you're uh, you're racing. Um, it's a lot different because you know in a sprint race on twelve lap sprint race in Moto America, sometimes I'm more spanked doing those twelve laps than I am in endurance, just because you know you're like when yeah, you're the whole, like, yeah, absolutely, uh, you're like you're pushing it like hard, yeah. But endurance, yeah. it's more like you got to finish, you know, and that that. You get a. I think the how the points work is, uh, you get a point for the championship for every lap you do. Okay. Like so, at New Jersey, say we did eighty laps in the four hours. I mean, I don't know exactly how many laps we did, but so we got eighty points for the championship. And if you crashed, say you did two laps and you crashed out, now you just you basically just lost your through, season. Through points. And my away. endurance team, and we never we never won any races. I mean, there were some times where we didn't even podium, but what we did was is we finished every single race even when we crashed out i think we crashed in two of the races and we still we wheeled the bike back in fixed it up as fast as we could and then went back out yep. you know and finished the race and we ended up winning the national championship because you know we were able to do that oh cool that's awesome yeah. well and there's a thing where it's consistency right and, and it's, exactly. it's even kind of like with racing with championships right where you know a guy who is pushing to win so hard that he's crashing out of races may yeah. not win the championship. And then, yeah. you know, you got the guy, maybe he's third, fourth a lot, but you know, points wise, he, you know, he's mm. just more, more consistent. So. Exactly. And that, that's all endurance racing is about, you know, it's consistency. Um, and then endurance racing, you know, one thing I want to bring up one more thing about that was uh, it's different than sprint racing and track days because now you have to have like a whole pit crew. And of course, yeah. you know, we're all club racers. We don't have uh, professional Yamaha people or whatever to come be our pits. Our pits, you know, usually become like your family, your best friends. A lot of times people who don't even ride motorcycles. So, I mean, now my my mechanic, Steve, also on the uh, four dot team, his wife can come out and do the gas can or put the bike on the rear stand or even like small thing like get the rider water or run the pit board. So now people who don't normally ride motorcycles are now on the team and they're part yeah. of this. The reason why yeah. we won is also because of them. So, I mean, I think that's pretty inspiring to get those people onto the track as well, you know, and sure. if you don't necessarily ride a motorcycle, you know, be part of that whole community community. Yeah. Yeah. Which is cool. And, and that, that's another point too, that I've made on, on prior episodes is how much racing motorcycle racing and particularly what you're talking about is a team sport. You know, like it, it, it seems like it, it's just, you know, mano a mano, like individual mm-hmm. out there. Cause you, you know, your attention is on the racers, mm-hmm. but there's this whole support network, mm-hmm. you know, e- even with, like I said, even with like club racing, you know, you're still, mm-hmm. the more, the more support you have, the better kind of thing. Yeah. So 
I mean, I it's funny you mentioned that that it's a team sport thing because I I tell my mechanic Steve Wilson, um, dude from Foul Play Racing, that you know me and him, it's fifty fifty. Like I, we're a band. I'm just the lead singer, and he's the bass player. I mean, without him, I couldn't do this. Without me, you know, he couldn't do this. Right. So, um. Yeah. No. He's without without him, I wouldn't be doing this. So yeah, it's definitely a definitely a team thing that we got going on here. Yeah, and and it's kind of cool too, and I because it's just kind of how life works. That you know, it's like so you have that division of uh, you know f- functions and what people are doing, right? Because you have people who are more inclined towards racing, like they want to race the bike, mm-hmm. and then I'm sure you got guys who are like, I'm not getting on that thing, but I love <laughs> I love doing the mechanics, like I I love tearing it apart, I love mm-hmm. troubleshooting, I love you know squeezing more performance out of it. So mm-hmm. it, it's like a good. Uh, like it kind of gels, I guess, you know, when you get the right, the right group of people together. Yeah. I mean, it's also like an entirely different skill set. Like I said, just as important. I mean, for example, Steve at pit race, I, uh, I crashed out and ripped the bottom part of my SV650 engine off. And I thought I was done. I think this was first qualifying on Saturday or something like that halfway through it. And they pulled the bike back in. We're like, we're ready to give up. But, uh, Steve's like, Dude, we're racing today. Like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I got to tear the motor out. You know, why don't you go see if you can find something to put in? And I found a stocker. I think it was like a $400 motor, which you usually don't really ride in Moto America. And he had that yeah. motor out and back in with his wife, uh, SJ and him. Uh, and I think three and a half, four hours. And as soon as the motor was done on my way to the grid, I teched it and went out there, you know, like that, that's wow. pretty high level skill to be able to do that to a bike. So I yeah. can go rates you know <laughs> that's that's cool that's cool yeah. <laughs> and th- those are the kind of stories too that make the whole thing so like, mm. like it's so colorful like there's so much flavor in in racing and stuff like that yeah like yeah. when we were doing that motor there were a bunch of people like even fans or uh there were fans or other racers would come up to us and like look at what we're doing and asking questions like oh you guys are actually you guys are gonna go race that thing is down to the frame and a wheel you guys you guys gonna have that ready in two hours like it's like, yeah, it's going to be ready in two hours. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. Like you're, you're rolling up to the start line and he's pouring oil in or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he actually, we actually forgot to put gas in it. Uh, uh, luckily, but, I, made yeah. it the, I, made, I made it the whole race. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. Doing it on the outlap. That was like, all right, the bike shifts okay. Brakes okay, gas works. All right, I think we'll be all right. <laughs> all right, and that—that's where luck comes into it too, right? You just—you yeah. had enough gas. Like, <laughs> you know, another track, longer—you know, longer race, maybe not, but that's pretty. Yeah, that's. Pretty it, it's funny when I usually when I'm on the grid and there's something wrong, Steve a lot of times won't tell me, but like I can usually tell by looking at him and like, oh god, there's something, <laughs> there's something up here. Right. I, I don't ask because I don't want to know. So sure. there's another time that uh, my tire warmer malfunctioned and I saw him freaking out a little bit at the front end. And I was like, what's the matter? Like, nothing, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Just go out and ride. <laughs> well, I guess it's good in a way, right? Because he doesn't want to do or say something that then you're going to have your attention on it. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, you know, presu- presumably if it was something really dangerous, he'd let you know. But and then oh, he, probably yeah. wouldn't, he probably wouldn't <laughs> let you go out and race. But yeah, <laughs> uh, that's cool. Um, do you have... Uh, like any any favorite books or anything like that on riding or racing that you you know you turn to or uh definitely i mean i i give most of the credit actually i should say all the credit to me going fast would be uh, nick Inosh and yamaha champions riding school and he put out an awesome book uh sport bike riding techniques okay and yeah. it goes into i think it talks a little bit about lee parks before it was yamaha champions riding school but um mm-hmm. i mean that is definitely where they 
I, I guess this might be not the right analogy to where you're coming into a corner and you're going, ah, I got a break corner, I got to go fast too. Okay, there's the number three marker. I'm a breaking about 100 points of uh, break. Now I'm going to add lean angle. Let me take away break points and become the onboard engineer. And you start thinking about all this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily crazy anymore. It's all, you know. Uh, thought, thought through or. Exactly. Yeah. So that's one of the, I'm, I'm actually, I haven't, I haven't read uh, Ken's book yet. Um, I'm most of the way through Lee Park's book, Total Control. I've read the, the Keith Code stuff. And that, that was a big thing I got out of. Uh, you know, twist of the wrist was that that same thing of like approaching it in a very methodical, thought out way, right? And he he makes the point that the more you do that, the more time you you gain because you're not in a panic. Like you can just kind of logically go through stuff, and so things kind of quote unquote slow down for you. So you can instead of just reacting and doing something crazy, you can kind of be much more rational about it. Yeah, and as, as Nick also says, like everything is. Uh done smooth you know you can uh what's that the tire can take a tremendous load but it won't take an abrupt load so when you're thinking you know you're slowly adding those points with your front brake but when you're not you know you're trying to brake harder you go okay there's a three grab and you just tuck the front yeah yeah and and it's interesting because it's one of the things that interests me about getting on the track right and uh, you know i'd mentioned to you when we're talking last night and i'll probably talk more about this in a future episode but so i signed up for the two-day camp with uh california superbike school right in, in new jersey at at the motorsports park and what's really cool is i kind of guessed it was the case but i found out that they use thunderbolt the thunderbolt track right. so it's going to be cool being that's the track that Moto america races on mm-hmm. and you know i think i i think i mentioned to you that my girlfriend Jean and I had done the two up experience with Chris Ulrich. So I've oh, been, cool. I've been on the back of his bike on that track, right? Cool. At 100, 145 miles an hour. So I'm <laughs> curious to see, you know, how it is for myself on the track. But mm. the, the point I'm getting to is, so I'm like at the point now where I've read all this stuff and I believe I understand it and I can think with it, but I know there's a big difference between that and and doing it like, like being able to actually do it. And so I, I could see like getting on a bike on the track and approaching a corner going, it's like, okay, what the hell do I do? <laughs> you know, now obviously, I mean, I know how to ride. So like, yeah, I, yeah, I, could, yeah. I could get through a turn, but you know, all the clear understanding I believe I have now, that's where it's going to get tested. And I think mm-hmm. that that's, that's the thing is I want to start testing myself. How well can I apply what I've learned and have the benefit, you know, of someone who can guide me through it. That's so. cool. It's cool you mentioned that because as an instructor myself, um, say like uh, maybe you agree reading a lot of these things. It's not overly complicated. It's kind of like simple stuff, you know, common sense, sort of common sense. But when you're on the track, you know, again, doing the instinctive thing and how you're supposed to make the motorcycle go fast, you control it are almost complete opposites. So like the hardest thing to do is forcing yourself to do something that you know you're supposed to do. So what I try and get people to do is when we're out on the track is let's try and find something really simple to where I can force you to sit back all the way in the seat or get your butt out of the seat. You know, like, for example, I tell people when you're coming down the straightaway, like even me, I'll yell at myself. I'm like, all right, okay, cool. I have about a fistful in between, you know, me and the tank. That means I'm in a good spot. And as I'm approaching the brakes, am I out of the seat? Like, I'll, I'll tell myself this in my helmet. And this is all really simple stuff. Get out of the seat, you know, get out of the seat. But you'd be surprised how many times if I don't say that I'm sitting in the middle of the seat and I'm not, you know, preparing myself for the corner. Sure. So in a way, kind of like maybe it's not a good analogy either, but it reminds me of kind of having a script like like 
like an actor in a play, right? It's like yeah, this yeah. happens, this happens, this happens. So it's like, I guess, yeah, if you have this this mental procedure mm-hmm. of I'm on the straightaway and now I do this, I do this, like you'll you'll do it repeatedly. And mm-hmm. and because that was a thing too that Keith Code mentions in Twist of the Wrist is the importance of you know having enough what he calls attention units available that in addition to doing what you're doing, you're paying attention to what you're doing and remembering what you're doing. So the next time around you mm-hmm. can adjust if needed. Right. So it's like, whatever, you got the wrong turning point or you break too late or whatever it was that you can play mm-hmm. that back in your mind. And the next time around adjust it and, mm-hmm. and not just be making the same mistake like over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Now it, it was interesting too, because when you and I were talking last night, you know, I mentioned, you know, I've only been riding three years and, you know, you said like in your experience, it's often easier, I guess, to teach people on the track if they haven't ridden too much on the street. Right. So, cause I guess because people pick up bad habits or, or whatever, what's the kind of things that you like run into or, or see with people? The biggest thing with street riders to track riders, um, would say be the use of the brakes. Um, for example, I went to go get my motorcycle permit and I have a pro race license, but I don't have my motorcycle license. Um, would be I was I was taking the permit test and one of the questions was like all right what do you do when you're coming into a corner too fast and it was either like hold the brakes all the way through the corner or stand the bike up and use the brakes and go straight and I think the answer was you know th- that's not exactly what the answers were but I mean yeah. it would stand it up and you know try and break because there's telling you do not break in the corners but you know as a racer you know and as a track day guy and Yamaha, Yamaha Jamie's riding school using the brakes is what helps steer the motorcycle so getting right. off the brakes is completely insane doing mm-hmm. that. And, you know, yeah. you don't have to go fast to use that to make that concept help you out. You can be on the street and use the brakes in the corners and it will, you know, make you a safer rider and help you control the motorcycle better. Right. Right. So and that that's a good point then, too. So it's it's not even just people picking up bad habits, but also it's like kind of maybe in some cases false information, you know, because even like even on the street. Like that's, I know like, like if you take like the motorcycle safety foundation, basic rider course, like they have these things because it's new riders. And I guess they're trying to give things to the people can manage at that level of skill, riding 20 miles an hour in a parking lot. So that's fine. But you know, obviously even on the street and I know there's lots of YouTube videos that make a big point out of this. A lot of guys that make the point trail breaking applies on the street. You know, mm-hmm. you, you may not need to do it all the time and you may not to do it, need to do it as aggressively. But so my point just is like, that's a thing too. Like people learning motorcycle riding and then kind of learning some bad stuff that then even if they never ride the track, they sort of have to unlearn, you mm-hmm. know? And, and it's like, I saw a point recently made about getting new people into riding, particularly like, like kids, and how, you know, one of the things that's been a big kind of innovation is like these Strider bikes, right? So yes. like when I, when I was a kid learning to ride, like everyone, you had your little two-wheel bicycle and then dad put training wheels on it, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and that, that's how you learn to ride. And the point was like since people started, you know, giving kids these Strider bikes, they actually learn to ride much faster because when, when you're on a bike you know, a, a bicycle with training wheels, it's basically kind of like a tricycle. Like yeah. it does not steer the same as a two wheel bicycle. So mm-hmm. you don't learn counter steering, for example, because yeah. you have to, you have to just steer like a four wheel vehicle basically. So well, it, yeah. it's yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. So it's almost like a step backwards. And so when I heard that, I was like looking back going, yeah, like no wonder it, it, it's funny too, because you know, I don't know how old I was, whatever it was, six, seven, when I learned to ride a two wheel bicycle, mm-hmm. um, I remember like the breakthrough because I had the 
the damnedest time. Like, you know, because the, the training wheels, it would wobble back and forth. Yeah, and you yeah. could never, like, get the thing balanced. And the breakthrough was, and I forgot if I asked my dad or he just decided, the training wheels came off. Forget the training wheels. I still wasn't able to ride the bike, but I was just out in the street on my two wheels with a bunch of kids in the neighborhood that knew how to ride. And I was just watching them going, wow, that looks like a lot of fun. And I, I guess just that inspired me to like, all right, let me just try this thing. And sure enough, in a short order, I was able to balance myself on the bike. But with the training wheels on there, you know, mm -hmm. one, they're like, it's like a problem because you got this extra weight and then yeah. you kind of, you kind of lean and it hits and whatever. So <laughs> anyway, I, I guess my point just is, you know, this is another example in motorcycling, how the approach to training can make a lot of difference in it, how quickly people pick it up and, and how good, how quickly they can get good at it. Actually, I kind of like that analogy. I'll probably use it, you know, future when I'm teaching people. So imagine you're on a training wheel bike and think about yourself trying to turn the bars and you turn the bars 90 degrees while you're on training wheels. The bike turns 90 degrees. Fine. Try doing that on a street bike. Just go in a straight line, 60 miles an hour. Do that. You know, what's going right. to happen? Right. <laughs> yeah, when, the, when there's no outside wheel to catch you, right? Because that's yeah. what you would do is you would basically, like in a four-wheel vehicle, like it would kind of go up on two wheels or whatever, three yeah. wheels or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of yeah. yeah, kind of interesting. Um, I was going to say something else just regarding... Yeah, whatever i'll think of it later um but yeah okay so 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 yeah so that that makes sense like basically breaking 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 habits that people have developed right just in, in learning how to ride a bike so now so it's interesting so that this you kind of answered a question i was going to ask you so you don't ride on the street sounds like i do not so growing up when i was 15 um, my dad, my dad's been very supportive. I mean, without him i wouldn't be doing this stuff you know because i mean no one has that much money when they're 15 years old even you know in the twenties, it's hard to get that, that kind of money to be able to do it yeah. how I do it. But he always told me, he's like, uh, uh, you get a street bike, you have a street license, no race bike. So there's an obvious, you know, decision there to be made. Okay. And then as I got older, um, now, I mean, when I have extra money, I mean, I want it to be on the, the race bike. Like I don't if I have a grand or two grand, I'm going to go buy, you know, a bunch of tires or a new set of suspension instead of, you know, something right on the street. Um, I've done it a couple times. My dad's got a hyper motard that, uh, you know, I can, I can nab every now and then, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. but I mean, you know, you're going down the street and like, Oh man, these cars are going so slow. And you look down and you're going 105 miles an hour and 35. It's like, it's yeah. not, it's not safe. <laughs> yeah. I guess, I guess it's a different world. And, and it kind of seems like a lot of guys that <clears throat> make the transition to track, like even if they were street riders, um, they just kind of leave it behind for, and for a variety of reasons. One is that, like, I remember because, you know, I interviewed Kyle Wyman and I asked him, do you ride on the street? And he said, said the same thing, basically. He's like, well, I have and I used to. But he's like, if I can spend 15 grand on a whatever street bike, I I'm going to buy lighter weight parts for my race bike. Like, I'm not. Yeah. You know? So, you know, I, I guess it's like once you get in tune with that and you you're doing the track thing, it's just that that's what's fun. And that that's that's what you want to do. So that, that makes sense. I guess yeah. it remains, it remains to be seen what happens with me. I mean, the way I look at it now, I tend to think I'll, I'll continue to do both, but I mean, who knows? Well, the, the reason why most people buy a sport bike is for an adrenaline rush. Yes. Yes. So you're riding on the street, you know, you have, you get an adrenaline rush, but then you start riding on the track. You're going much faster. The G forces are much higher. You're braking much harder. You're turning much harder. Now your tolerance for adrenaline is through the roof. So mm -hmm. now I'm running on the street to get that same form of adrenaline. You do that's, that on the street. That's insanity. You yep. know, you, you'll certainly be dead. I don't care what kind of gear you're wearing. 
but um, you just can't get it. And I think it gets boring for people. I can't speak for myself. I'm just making observations, you know, yeah. but um, there's definitely this, the aspect of street riding, like um, the adventure style, dude, on my dirt bikes. Like, I just want to, where's this road go? Where, mm-hmm. What is, what's down here? I do that on my dirt bike all the time, you know, um, instead of going fast. So I can definitely understand that part of street riding. Yeah, no, that that is a good point because people do ride for different reasons, you know. So, like, I I know people who love like long distance riding. You know, it's not like endurance riding per se. Although you have people that do iron butts and all that kind of thing, mm-hmm. which like even that like that doesn't appeal to me. I I I understand why people do it. Like, I understand the challenge of it. I'm not saying it's easy, but like to me, the thought of let me just figure out what highways I can take so I can complete a thousand miles in the shortest amount of time. <clears throat> it's like, I'm not interested in that. I, I'd rather just go spend two hours up in the mountains or something like that. Yeah. You know? uh, just because that's that's the kind of riding I enjoy now. Now, for sure, yeah, that, that could change in the future. But so like I said, so if that's a person's thing, yeah, that makes sense. Or, you know, they're riding to tour or to travel. Like I like to do that to go around and see things or like you're doing, you know, off-road adventure riding. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right. Like if if a person rides because they love the speed and the whole thing about sport bikes and the performance and the adrenaline rush, the adrenaline that, rush yeah. then I, cause I totally agree with you. Like I, I've said many times, it's like, if that's your thing, go to the track. Don't, don't do that stuff on the street. Like I, I've seen it. I mean, I've seen guys doing crazy speeds, you know, on public roadways, you know, and it's just, I, I get it. And there's a challenge and the bad boy thing and whatever, but it's like, it's just not, you're just putting yourself at risk and, and you put other people at risk. And then like, for me personally, that's, that's when it gets out of control. It's like, do what you want with your life. But when you start involving other people in your own insanity, then figure out, you know, figure out something else. Um, you know, in fact, I, uh, was, I don't know, probably six months ago, my girlfriend had taken her scout 60 into the Indian dealer just to get a little repair work done or something. And they actually had a, a Gixxer thousand motor apart on the bench. They were repairing it because supposedly that the owner was doing 150 miles an hour on a public road. You know, it was a long straight shot. Yeah. And one of the, one of the pistons, one of the, yeah, one, one of the, uh, one, one of the pistons melted or I, I don't know, like there's some manufacturing defect, but basically the engine kind of blew apart and the dude was like really lucky that the real wheel didn't lock up. You know, so he he survived it. But you hear a story like that. Yeah. And obviously, like something can go wrong on the track. It's not to say it's not like 100 percent safe environment, but it's like Mm -hmm. if you're going to do that kind of stuff, just do it where (laughs) the chances are better. You know, I mean, there's no buses to run you over. There's no mom driving a looking at a cell phone. There's EMTs on standby at the track. You're wearing full leather suits. There's runoff. There's places to slow down. There's air fence. You know, the list goes on. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Which um so so actually good segue. So since you mentioned like leather suits and stuff, um, you know, I think I mentioned to you I've started shopping for gear for the track. I did <clears throat> I did buy an Arai helmet uh just recently and uh heroic gloves, race gloves. Mm-hmm. But any any other suggestions you have on like rate you know, that's not race gear, but you know, track gear things to look for. I'm I'm kinda thinking now like I probably will buy a pair of boots because I'm kinda looking like you know, the gloves, helmet, boots, I can wear on the street. You know, it, it may not be totally necessary, but it's not it's not going to hurt, right? It's just more protection. As far as, like, a leather suit, I probably will wait. I think I'm just going to rent one when I do the – well, actually, it's included in the California Superbike School, so I'd probably just use one of their suits. And then even doing track days, maybe rent the first, you know, bunch of times I do it before I settle on what I want. But so whatever, with all that background, like any – any advice you have just based on your experience riding on the track or what works for people or doesn't work? 
Um, I'll, I'll tell people that. So I guess, again, I'm leading into a little bit of a story here. But uh, last year, I, I, had, I rode a $1,200 SV650. The bike was junk. I mean, that's what I could afford. That was basically what my budget was. I had a $3,000 truck, two-wheel drive, you know, five-speed manual, crank windows. That was my budget. I didn't have, you know, a ton of money. Um, but I had nice gear. And I had nice gear because, you know, it's almost an investment that, you know, if you look at it in one way, because when you crash, I didn't snap my forearm in half or knock myself out and give myself a concussion. Now you're spending a lot more money. And yeah. on top of that, you don't have to be walking around, you know, in a, a, a cast or a sling for however long. Um, so when I had my $1,200 bike, I had my $1,000 Corsair X helmet. I had a Lunaseka Dionysi suit, uh, Alpine Star super artex i think and tai chi gloves I and mean, all top of the line stuff i'm also a crasher so and <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. yeah. <laughs> do all that stuff but um yeah. i mean i've crashed enough to where being in that gear i mean I've, I've walked away some you know 100 mile an hour crashes um i had a high side where i didn't let go of the bike i held on to it and i landed on my head and the bike kind of came on top of me i got i got hurt from that but i mean you know high siding like that with the bike landing on you at like 80 miles an hour being able to you know talk about it and having minor injuries is that that's a huge investment to me i was money well spent sure. on all that protective gear definitely now were all were those all racing related yes they're all yeah. racing related and that you know that's the thing i mean it goes with the territory right it's like you you know if if and, and obviously it could just happen doing track days if you're really pushing it right but you know you get into racing and you just know this is it's part of the equation it's something that could happen but uh, yeah i'm totally it's kind of where it's not like i had to think about it a lot to come to this conclusion but you know when i was looking at it again you know wanting to get on the track in 2020 i was like you know what let's not worry about like just what you said it's like let's not worry about the motorcycle let's not worry because i'd love to it'd be really cool you know like i love i, I, I test drove a uh kawasaki, kawasaki zx6r fucking amazing bike right? and, and that, that like that's way more bike than i need now anyway like but aside from that it's like uh, okay let's forget that let's put the attention on the gear like you said let, let's protect me first i don't care if i do buy a track bike whatever it could be a thousand dollar junker as long yeah. as as long as it passes tech and i can put on the track mm-hmm. as long as i've done what i think is reasonable to protect me you know and yeah, I mean, I don't have, you know, I can't spend $10,000 on gear, you know, and yeah. it's, it is possible. It is possible. I mean, you can get a $5,000 leather suit and, and a whole, you know, the, I'm not going to go that crazy, but, you know, spend what it takes to have the best protection I can afford, basically. Yeah. You know? I agree with what you're saying, too, in terms of like, you don't have to buy a $5,000 suit. What I, what I mean is don't go on eBay and buy something from some random vendor for 200 bucks that you yeah. don't know is going to work. I mean, there's plenty of people out there that make suits for I think four hundred to six hundred dollars or good entry level suits that are still going to yep. protect you pretty good, yep. you know. But you you don't want to buy something that's going to rip open. But um, I would say with the helmet, I would one hundred percent buy. So like you said, I would go buy an Arai, I'd go buy a Shuby, I'd go buy a Bell, I'd go buy a um, uh, AGV, like something that you know is on the higher price line because your head's the one thing where you hurt, you hit it, you know, that's it, you're done. Yeah. At that yeah. It's yeah. not an arm where you break it and you can get surgery and fix it or just sit in a cast for a little bit. Sure. You got to sure. protect your head. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I yeah. think the magic number is 12 and a half miles an hour. That'll kill you. Okay. I think that, that's let, it. Let, <laughs> like it doesn't yeah, take. No, long. it could be, you know, and that's a thing too, like a point I've tried to make on the podcast for people to think about is, you know, <laughs> motorcycles go fast very easily. Yes. The better ones stop 
very easily, right? Yes. But but whatever, it depends. You know, you can have a motorcycle that weigh, you know, that where the where the acceleration performance weigh it way outperforms the braking performance. Mm -hmm. But but the thing I think people sometimes don't think about is the amount of energy that's involved. Like when 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 you're doing seventy miles an hour on the highway on a motorcycle, you've mm -hmm. stored up a lot of potential energy, you know, a lot of energy, right? And mm -hmm. when that stops, when you and the bike stop that energy's got to go someplace right <laughs> and, and 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 it's like if you're not properly geared you know it's going to go th it's going to go more through your body than whatever so and, and you just see some wicked stuff that just doesn't have to happen part of the reason why i don't like the newer bikes as we talked about earlier is like you know my sv650 it's a little bit older it's 10 years old i get a lot of like feedback through the motorcycle it becomes kind of scary to ride you know it shakes you know it yeah. moves around a little bit whereas we talk about a 2020 Ducati V4 R1, something like that. The bike almost does a lot of it for you. It becomes numb. So now someone who hasn't ridden that much, going 180 miles an hour doesn't feel like 180 miles an hour. It feels like 60 or 50. And they don't, right. like you said, they don't realize how much force is going on at that point. And they're yeah. wearing a T-shirt and maybe a pair of jeans. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, just things for, for people to think about. You know, I... Obviously, it's good. Like on the track, you don't have a choice. You got to wear the gear. So it's like track days. You know, if you want to yeah. get on the track, you got to wear the gear. That's just, which is good, right? Um, you know, and then I just encourage people to wear stuff on the street. You know, I, I do acknowledge people's, you know, they're free to do what they want to do, what they, yeah, yeah. you know, see is best for them. But yeah, I, I think it's definitely worth it. Um, so just, I'm just kind of looking at some of the other questions here. Um, so how, how long have you known Chris Bays? Like, how did you guys first hook up? He he was uh, one of our bombs guys, and uh, he races for that team. And Mike Kuplos is the guy who helped me build, help uh, four dudes on a twin build the, their motor. So I'd hang out around Mike's pits a little bit, ask him a million questions, annoying him all the time, trying to figure out how to make my bike go faster. Sure. And uh, Chris is just you know a pretty outgoing guy, and just was like I said earlier, you know, pretty supportive in uh, helping us out as well. You know, not, ask, not asking for anything, just giving us rider advice or. He's been riding the SP for a long time and has a lot of knowledge about it. So, you know, naturally, I, just, you know, I liked uh, listening to the stuff he had to say. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, talked to him a little bit about that. And then I asked him about your podcast a little bit as well. Um, yeah. not, I don't know him super well, but I've talked to him a few times. Right. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I don't know him super well yet either. But yeah, he's just a really nice guy. And, you know, when, when I interviewed him the first time, he mentioned similar thing to like what you're saying. It's like he, you know, he rode on the street and he's like, Hey, I want to try. I think he did one track day and he decided he wanted to race. And oh. so, so he's like, he just got on some forums and he's like, Hey, I want to race. What do you do? And he's like, well, all these people just jumped in to help. You know, they didn't ask for anything in return. They're like, Hey, come on down. We're going to be at this racetrack and come check it out. And we'll, we'll show you the ropes and whatever. So, and I think, so he's trying to pay that forward too, which is, that's, that's really cool. That's really cool. That's funny. People, uh, say the same thing to me when i'm teaching at n2 like dude what do you want like how can i help you i'm like yeah. next time when you're my level you're at a higher level and there's a kid there doesn't know what he's doing go help him out you yeah. know yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, definitely. and tell him the same thing <laughs> yeah yeah for sure and that's or, the thing too it's like you know if, if uh, i try to make this point on the podcast it's like you know we, we if you want to see the sport continue to expand just do that you know just do what you can help someone out get them you know let them try your bike or bring them to the store help them pick out some gear like whatever whatever it is just you know keep building the community that way yeah, yeah man. um 
I realize you may not have exact figures on this, but I'm just curious what what does it take you to like what does it cost you to run your bike for the season? Like, you know, including like any sponsor money you get, but like what's kinda like if someone was like, Hey, I wanna get a Moto America, I wanna run an S V six fifty, like what what would they be looking to spend, like aside from the bike and whatever? Um, it's hard to put a number on it because with the Twins Cup you can run at so many different levels. Um Last year, I forget what the guy's name was, but he bought a bike for like three or four grand, and I think he needed like two sets of tires to come out and ride for Moto America. So whatever Moto America charges to ride that weekend and his two sets of tires, I think we'll just throw $400 each and then his $3,000, $4,000 bike. Um, that would be like your basic, basic level entry. But I mean, okay. top of the line, all season. I mean, I'm really ballparking here, but I'd probably say two to five thousand dollars a weekend, something like okay. that. Okay, that's and a that, that's, that's like a that's like a that's like a mid level. I'm at you know, I'm not spending a ridiculous amount of money, but I'm not cheaping anything out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I no, come, but that's good. I come from a very fortunate situation. You know, my dad, like I said, my dad's very supportive of me, and N two is very supportive of me. So I'm I'm kind of kept away from that a, a little bit. So yeah, gotcha. Uh, Okay. No, I was just curious because it it, it sounds very approachable. Like, mm-hmm. you know, someone who wanted to get into it to give it a shot. Okay. Yeah. Maybe they can't race every race, but they could experience it for like not that much money. You know, okay. Yeah. Maybe they're not going to run in the lead, but at least you're yeah. out there. You know, well, you're you out get there to racing. Be a pro racer. You know, you yeah. get to be on TV for, you know, a lot of people like, yeah, like I said, $2,000, $5,000 is definitely a lot of money, but, you know, it's, people spend that on a vacation or something like that, like to go out and, you know, like I said, be on TV and all that, like it's an experience. You can't, you can't beat that, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. That's cool. Um, so did, is your dad a partner in N2? Did he like start it or how, what's the, what's so the story there? When he first started riding was with Nesba. Uh, I guess they were, the, I think at the time they were one of the, they were the biggest track day organization on the East coast. And I think they were, I think they're one of the pioneers of motorcycle track days. Okay. Uh, and he, you know, just started like everyone else as a novice rider or beginner, they called it and uh, worked his way up to the ranks. And a couple of years later, he was a control rider. And then a couple of years later, he was a director. So he was like in charge of, um, you know, guiding how the day went at that track. Um, and then I think, Five, six years ago, N2 kind of, not N2, uh, Nesba kind of went under, and um, my dad kind of uh, took it over uh, with along with a couple other guys. And uh, that's where we're at right now. Okay. So Cool. So they kept it alive. Mm-hmm. And then he's that's trying to, he's, I mean, like, well, they don't make money off this stuff. They're more, you know, they're all huge motorcycle people. They love the sport. They love helping people, like they're giving back to the community. I mean, they're like trying to help the sport grow. Yeah. Um, get kids off the street, stop them from, you know, getting killed, um, show people how to ride motorcycles safely, um, you know, and get to that higher level to go be able to experience things like Moto America or go win a CCS championship, all stuff like that. Sure. Oh, that's awesome. Um, where, where does the name N2 come from? Um, I don't quote me on this, but my, my yeah. mechanic calls me the fly on the wall. So basically I'm the guy I, I'm flying around in the room on the wall while the N2 people are talking. So what, what I heard was when they were, when Nesbo was ending and these guys were trying to make up a new company, they couldn't think of a name. So they just thought, Oh, well N2, you know, Nesbo two. So, and then it just stuck. Okay. So, 
is it? <laughs> I, I mean, it it's awesome. It's an awesome name. Like you yeah. know, it's it, it's it's kind of interesting, right? Because some of the best names, like if you think of really successful companies, marketing campaign campaigns or whatever, it's often names like it doesn't have a particular meaning yeah. and it, it's, it's it's easy to say and it looks cool on the side of your bike so yeah, yeah obviously it obviously works um so that's cool so so it just sounds like they kind of took the thing over just out of a love of the sport and wanted to help people um i'm guessing hopefully at least you know all the expenses like the thing kind of pays for itself or like do you think they, they have to do they fund it at all like out of their own pockets or are they able to the- they definitely put all the money they make back, back, into, the back into it. But I mean, there's just, definitely, like you're talking about um, all the bikes we have, the RVs, um, the racing. That is, that's funded by the, say, Chris Smith and my dad. I mean, N2 doesn't pay for, I mean, it pays for some of it, but it's not. You know, they, they definitely put a lot of money into it for the love of the sport in hopes sure. that it will eventually, you know, grow and other people can get involved with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Does, uh, does your dad race? Or did he? Uh, correct. He does race. Oh, it does. Okay. He uh, teaches with Yamaha Champions Riding School. He's an instructor there. Um, and he mostly races Arma now. So the uh, vintage racing. Um, and he races a Ducati 848 in their Sound of Thunder 2 and Sound of Thunder 1. So they have like a V-twin class, modern day V-twin class for Arma. Okay. Gotcha. What's, I haven't what's... beaten him yet either. <laughs> <laughs> Did um? Do you know was he was he down at Jersey this past summer? Oh uh, yes, was he there? was there. Okay. What what's his what's his number? Oh, he didn't. Uh, he didn't race. Oh, he, he, he didn't race. Uh, no, he raced Arma. Ninety-two. His number is ninety-two. Okay. R, I believe. Okay, I have to check and see if I have pictures of him because I, I took a lot of photos down there. Well, he's got the the bike that everyone else has. You know, black on black, black leathers and think a red helmet okay i'll have to check it out <laughs> cool That's he's so a he looks like a giant on the bike he doesn't look too much like me he's like six four probably like 220 oh, okay. something like that gotcha 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 okay so it's e- easy to spot yes <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. um let's, let's see here covered most of what i what i had to talk about um Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're at like the hour marks. So I mean, this has been really good. So if, is there anything else you'd like to just go over or talk about? Like, right. Cause I think, you know, like my podcast, right. My whole thing is, well, whatever. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to help everybody. So I, like, you know, I'm trying to be as, as broadly appealing as I can. So new riders, you know, returning riders, experienced riders, just whatever, like any advice you have or anything's, you know, you think we should go over. Um, I mean, most, most of the best things in my life have come from, uh, uh, riding motorcycles in terms of like my friends and things I've accomplished, um, what I'm proud of, you know, what I look forward to doing, um, later on in my life. Most of it has to do with, uh, definitely has to do with motorcycles, but, um, I definitely want to leave off with just a small story. Cause I mean, the guy, like I'm talking about Steve Wilson from foul play racing, um, this is the other half of my team and I, I could never find a way to like thank him enough mm-hmm. so um i just want to tell a story about how i met him real quick or yeah, i guess sure. I really got involved um so i started race racing sprint bikes when i was at uh, thunderbolt a little while ago uh sorry a couple of years ago on that 1200 sv and it was yeah. junk so you know i went out there i did okay um but i started to get faster and then uh then my second race weekend 
Steve, um, we went to pit together and hang out and uh, just help each other out. But uh, during his race, he got T-boned by some knucklehead in his race and he got, he was out. Um, his wife was coming to the track to come watch him race, which he was no longer racing. Um, so him and his wife just went, all right, well, let's help out Robbie, you know, and Steve is a, like we were talking about earlier, very skilled in mechanics and uh, fixing stuff. And he took my $1,200 junker and he, you know, he went, dude, how are you riding this thing? This is the biggest pile of, you know, crap I've ever seen. And I think one of the forks was two, two millimeters higher than the other one or something, yeah, okay. all kinds of crazy stuff. So he took that and, uh, he kind of fixed it up for me. I didn't even touch it. I just sat back there and I watched him. And, uh, I think the very next race, um, I went out and I rode, uh, I think the guy, the yeah, guy's name was Paul Blake. And, um, he, I don't know if he's lost before, but I was nowhere near close him, close to him. And, uh, I remember going out and, you know, thinking like, you know, dear God, this guy, Steve and his wife have helped me out so much for this race. Just help me put on a show for him. Like help, help me put on a show for them. I don't care if I win, yeah. but, um, ended up happening was I remember going out on the grid and after the first lap, I, I realized I was right on his butt, uh, and ended up passing him. And then Paul Blake passed me back and I passed him again and we were going at it. But on the last lap and a turn five coming down the hill, I stuffed him real good on the inside. And, uh, Steve and his wife were right there in the corner watching the whole thing. So I got around the track and his bike had a little bit more power than me. And he, he passed me over the line, but I ended up beating him by like, four thousandths of a second or something crazy like that oh, wow i first went so i oh, took that trophy i signed it and i was like steve this is that that was all you right there man <laughs> like, so oh that's awesome then, you know we've been like best friends we talk every day um you know and he does his bike stuff and he helps me best he can to help me ride so thanks steve and foul play racing <laughs> yeah no that's awesome i'll i'll uh i'll, I'll find his stuff is he i guess on facebook and whatever yeah, Facebook oh. and uh, Instagram. Yeah, so Instagram, he's Foul Play Racing thirty four, I think. Or if you go on my page, you'll see me tag him a hundred times. Okay. Yeah, so. I'll, I'll go grab the links. I'll put them in the show notes so people can uh, can find his stuff. That's awesome. That's that's a that's a great story. Thanks, man. Appreciate <laughs> it. That's really cool. Yeah. So um, before before we wrap it up, what's what's your plans? Like, so I, I like it's really cool what you said about like you, you see motorcycling just being in mm -hmm. your life for like whatever long time to come. Any, any specific plans you can share, like, you know, goals for, you know, series you want to race in or what you want to do with the bike or, um, this is, this isn't something that I'm going to, I'm not going to race for a living. You know, I'm not, I, I, I I'm not going to say I'm, I'm slow, but I'm not, you know, I'm getting a little bit older. I'm not as talented as a lot of the younger kids. So my goal as a rider is to get as fast as I can and do as much as I can with Moto America. So I can take that, absorb as much information as I can. And take that and bring that to that novice guy who just came into that classroom and show him how to get up there and show him how to do that. Because there are people that come into that novice classroom who, you know, those people just pick up stuff like right away. Yeah. Yep. You know, and they're scary good at it. Like we talked about, it, it almost makes you mad at first. Right. <laughs> take those people and push them to do what I did and now make that road easier for them to get there with their level of talent. That's what I really want to do. I want to awesome. be able to show people how much fun this is. Going, how they need to go endurance racing, why they need to go endurance racing, why they should go to Moto America, because this has made my life so much fun. I want them to experience it too. Yeah, cool. Awesome, so, awesome. You uh, you ever see yourself like owning a team in the future? Or? Uh, owning a team. So the team, four dudes on a twin, I can see that definitely being, you know, this is long ways from now, being a stepping stone that maybe I could have is to help young kids, you know, 
get on the track and experience um more like having with a goal of having fun and trying to get better than versus winning, which we've always kind of kept yeah. from day one. Um, and, you know, again, just trying to get people to experience riding. I, I would love to own a team someday, but it would definitely be, I, I would, maybe I would own four dudes on a twin and I'd help, you know, people make that next step into racing from a track day or something like that. Right. Right. Yeah. Cool, man. Sounds good. Yeah. Right, man. So we'll, we'll have to show. That was awesome. <laughs> no, absolutely. No, it's been a blast. So we'll, uh, you know, well, whatever, depending on how schedules go, I mean, definitely I'd love to have you on again, like, you know, in the yeah. future and we'll talk about, you know, how things are progressing and whatever. Like I want to, I de- it's, it's, that's been a really cool thing with this podcast is just like, and particularly getting hooked up with Motor America, just meeting people like yourself and Chris Bays and, yeah. you know, like even like, like Kyle Wyman, you know, it was, he, he was at, you know, he's sponsored by Cycle Gear, right? So he was at the motorcycle show this past weekend yeah. and he was signing autographs. It was just cool to like, just walk up to him. Hey dude, how's it going, man? And, and. Yeah. You know, have him remember me and and whatever, and uh, I don't know. It's just such an awesome group of people. I'm just having so much fun just doing mm-hmm. what I can to help promote it. I actually, um, you know, I did an episode. I actually interviewed uh, Paul Carruthers and Sean Bice. You know, like about their podcast for Motor America and whatever. So it's just been I don't know. It's just been so much fun. So I just want to keep the thing rolling, stay hooked up with all you guys, and um, uh, I haven't finalized the plans yet. I definitely am going to hit a couple races this year. Um, I'm not sure. I definitely want to go to Indy. I'm like th- I'm thinking tracks I haven't been to yet. So been to Road America? Yeah. No, I, I want to hit Road America. That, that's one you uh, gotta go to. Okay. So sure. is that the second race of the year? Right. Coda Coda's first. Oh, okay. I got I I'll, so. I'll have to check out the calendar. Because I've seen Jersey Motorsports Park. I've seen Barber now. I've seen Coda. Uh, I mean Coda, that they're, they're all awesome venues or whatever. But uh, it'd be nice to see some tracks I haven't seen yet. So Yeah, Road America. I mean, they've got like uh like this it's it's more built for like the fans instead of like the racers there's a lot of stuff there's really good places to look there's a lot of things to like do there's like restaurants like on the track and that kind of stuff um it's i really enjoyed it being there even though i was racing i also enjoyed hanging out with all the fans and stuff sure so. sure sure oh that's really cool it's kind of funny though it's like i, I think i have myself spread too thin right because i love doing the photography mm-hmm. so i'm like you know dragging my butt all around the track you know find good angles and then like i miss stuff in the pits or whatever. so i gotta like <laughs> I got to figure out how to like manage that better. But actually, you know, maybe what I'll start doing is since, you know, it's usually two days of racing, maybe I'll just shoot pictures one day and then like hang out in the pits or whatever. The next yeah, day just about to one. say, <laughs> yeah, 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 just to figure it out. All right, man. Listen, Robbie, I appreciate it. It's been a ton of fun. Glad you could come on. And, uh, yeah, I'll put a bunch of links and stuff into your social media also, you know, just yeah, on, man, on, awesome. the, on the back podcast back. notes so people can find you any, uh, like if people want to reach out to you, like what's the best way just through like your Instagram and Facebook? Yeah. So my Instagram Chicolo or my Facebook, uh, Robert Chicolo jr. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell people when listening to the podcast, I tell all the people I instruct, um, feel free to message me at any time. You want pictures, videos, want me to critique something. Um, I want to help you out. You know, I want to help you get to reach your goals, you know, yeah. um, become the racer you want to be, or you just want to ride a little bit better or you got questions. Um, let me know. I'll help you out as much as I can. Awesome, so, awesome. Enjoy doing it too. <laughs> yeah, no, okay, that's that's cool. Yeah, I'm sure the listeners will love that because I like, like I said to you, I've, I've got listeners you know, of, of all different backgrounds and abilities. But you know, mm-hmm. I I know guys that you know they they do track days and stuff like that, or they want to do track days, or so that's awesome. So thanks thanks for offering that. Yeah, no problem. All right, man. So uh, hang on tight. We'll chat a little, but I'm just gonna shut down the recording. So have a have a good night. All right. Thanks a lot, Chris. <laughs> A huge thank you goes out to Robbie for being a guest on the show. 
If you'd like to find out more about my podcast or find the earlier podcast episodes, just point your web browser to soyouwantaridemotorcycle.com or find the link in the show notes included with this episode in your podcast app. If you have any questions about the show or the topics discussed, or if you want to send me feedback, you can email me at soyouwantaride at yahoo.com. That address is also in the podcast notes. You can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram where I share lots of links to other people's motorcycle-related articles and video content, as well as providing a lot of my own content and motorcycle-related photos. Just search for So You Want to Ride or find the links on my website or in the podcast notes. And don't forget, listeners of this podcast get a 10% discount on Bond Body Armor. Just use the code LETSRIDE20 at bondarmor.com. That's B-O-H-N armor.com. You'll get 10% off anything in the online store with no time limit. Just keep in mind this can't be combined with other coupons. Also, tell them you heard about Bond Armor from this podcast and you'll get a free helmet liner with your purchase. There are also two big ways you can help support the show. One is free and one is paid. If you'd like to help support the podcast financially, you can donate using PayPal by going to paypal.me slash Christopher Geis or click the donate link at the upper right on my website. Donations will be put to very good use covering operating expenses and helping promote the podcast. Anything you care to donate will be greatly appreciated. The free way to help is just to help me spread the word so we can grow my online and listener communities. So please share the link to my podcast and my social media with family, friends, and coworkers. And also, please leave me a rating and some comments on iTunes and any other place where you can leave feedback or mention the show, as that will help other people find my show through the various search engines on the internet. As always, thank you for listening. And just remember, whatever you do, it's always time to ride. (laughs) 